0: live with cause, and leave results to the great law of the universe. Pass each day in peaceful contemplation. Chinese finger puzzles are a gag toy which imprisons an unsuspecting victim's fingers inside of a small cylindrical object made of lightly woven bamboo. Once trapped, the typical reaction is to attempt to break free from the puzzle by abruptly pulling away and to avoid capture by resisting the confines of the object. With every pull in the direction of opposition, the grip of the trap only gets tighter, but the paradox of the puzzle is that escape can only be found in surrender and release. The action of pushing towards the middle of the cylinder and moving towards resistance is where liberation from this prison may ultimately be found. The finger puzzle is a dynamic metaphor for how the act of resistance and opposition can leave us feeling trapped in a panic or stuck struggling out of a situation that we've initially and perhaps unconsciously consented to. There may be usefulness in considering the act of surrender when met with feelings of resistance and lean into the notion of less being more. Gentleness has a force all its own. We can break free from what we are attached to only with a proper and intentional movement. The more we pull away from the confines of the objects that bind us, the tighter they will grip on our ability to expand and evolve. The more we struggle for freedom, the more freedom will become a struggle. You have the power to resolve resistance with solvent thoughts. Move close to equanimity by breaking free of entrapments of your fears through gentle confrontation. May the lessons that emerge in moving closer to inner and outer liberation allow you to break free of limitation and shift your focus to expansive
1: visions. I'm an insane, sexual, shadow witch, and my name is Lacey Free, and I'm the fucking host of HorrorPod. Welcome to Horror Pod. <laughs> Today I'm with the beautiful, the lovely Jen. The new mama also. The glowing new mama. Tell us about you. Tell us your full name. Tell us who you are. Tell us about your magic.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Lacey. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so my full name is Jennifer Sodini, but friends call me Jen. Um, I just gave birth. And actually, this is the first podcast I'm actually talking about that on. <laughs> so <Yay. laughs> it's exciting. Um, we actually kept the whole pregnancy off of social media. So it was like, all of a sudden, I got a baby. Hi.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so
0: cool. Um, but yeah, I'm an author, creative um, kind of dabbling in the space of media for the last, geez, uh, 10 plus years. Um, And my magic revolves around um, kind of finding that gap between ancient wisdom and the modern world and the synthesis of art, consciousness, um, different realms of consciousness. And um, yeah, this wonderful mystery that we're all
1: surfing through. Yeah, beautiful. I love what you were just saying about resistance. What is the energy of resistance to you? Where do you feel it in your life? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's such a good
0: question because it it's something that has been popping up a lot lately. Um, I, I made a post this morning about like Mercury retrograde or Gatorade, as I like to call it, and like just literally all the shit that's going haywire, like electronics, communications, whatever. Resistance is like the uncomfortable parts of life that you don't want to look at or move through or address. So then unfortunately, those lessons keep coming up over and over again. And that's not like a spiritual bypass. It's like literally (laughs) like resistance is that very lesson that keeps popping up again and again until you're like, aha, I see now and I can move forward from it. Um, I think something that I've resisted is this idea that I need to Identify as something or fit into a particular mold in order to like be accepted by a certain community instead of just embracing that I'm um, like a fucking weirdo.
1: <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I love the energy of the only way to combat the resistance is to not combat it, is to surrender is sort of to melt into it. I remember when I first learned about the energy of surrender and it was from this book of short stories by the author who wrote The Way of the Peaceful Warrior,
0: Mm.
1: Dan Millman. And I can't remember the short story book, but it talked about just surrendering. And I felt so connected to war goddesses and the dark goddess. And this idea that she doesn't fucking surrender. She strives, she grabs the fire and will dance in the flames of the underworld. And this energy of surrendering, it was like, oh, wait, I can win by by taking a breath, by leaning into. And there's actually is no winning. Wait, there's no winning? (laughs) Um, Do you feel like there's winning in life? Do you feel like there's the energy of winning and losing?
0: No, I think that that's the thing. Like, we always want to punctuate our life sentence with the idea of like, there's a level of completion. I'm healed. I have won. I, but this binary thing. And I think that's life is so much gray area. This is like when you think that you've won <laughs> the next obstacle has presented itself. We're like literally in this fucking endless super Mario world with infinite
1: levels. <laughs> totally. Completely. What's your perspective of what's happening in the world right now? Uh <sighs> I think
0: there's a lot of ways that you can look at it. you know I, One of the things that has been a little dangerous, I think, with like the community that we're, we're in it, in certain ways is that there's a level of spiritual bypass and magical thinking that can be dangerous where it doesn't acknowledge suffering, it doesn't acknowledge oppression, it doesn't acknowledge the disparity between humanity. And the suffering that's going on right now, you know, there's this narrative that exists where it's like, well, this is just what they've attracted or that's their karma. And I think that that's really, that's really dangerous. And it's like a a violent way of thinking, but there is room for nuance where you can say, okay there's shit happening that we can take responsibility for as individuals and do what we can within our path and within our resources to make every day a little bit better with what we can do and we have access to. And there is a karmic debt that we can pay through that action, but everything isn't happening because of some great karmic sea that, you know, anybody deserves the suffering that's going on right now. It's, it's paradoxical, right? It's like, yes. And, um, it's hard to come up with a spiritual narrative for tragedy and the level of tragedy and heaviness that we, we've seen in the last week alone, but, there can be a spiritual narrative found in how we, as individuals can make a difference and see that this can't continue. Um, I hope I'm making sense in that. It's like just embracing the paradox that there there can be a lesson, but it's not everything is like uh, easy to wash away with a spiritual narrative, I guess. It's just hard. It's hard to find a way to reconcile tragedy and how fucking insane things are in america right now
1: yeah 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 and and i don't think the insanity is going to necessarily calm down no and i think it's it's something that's been sort of a long time coming or it maybe in a way that it's, I think we're treating it like it's new and there is newness to it. But I also feel like this is a reflection of the pain that many people have been suffering under in this country for a long time, you know? Absolutely. And, and it's almost like our shadows coming to the surface But I also feel like there's an element within media that wants to sort of trap us into a fear narrative, into a narrative of pain and collective suffering. So there's one hand where there is authentic suffering that I think it's really important that we don't bypass that we come together in community In, but then I'm a big person, like I'm really obsessed with the underworld <laughs> and different mythologies. And there's the dark goddess Medea and Medea is the dark goddess of illusion, delusion, foresight and prophecy. And I believe that our media is named from Medea And that they use sort of occult-like magic to get us in a trance, to keep us at a certain frequency. And if we're at this certain frequency, then we sort of get bound to the third dimension, bound to these lower states. And it's not like having these emotions are what's bad. It's that it's the constant loop of the fear, I think, sucks from our magic. And I think so many people are waking up to the fact that they have superpowers or that they're autonomous beings. And then the media, the 1% this is a little conspiracy theorist of me too, but sort of like the Illuminati powers at B invoke tragedy to keep that fear going because it's this energy of divide and conquer to separate us. Yes.
0: I I love that you wove in Medea and that, that uh, mythological point of view, because honestly, um, you touched on it so perfectly is that this is nothing new. What's new is what we have access to. We have access to the world of information at our fingertips. If you go back in time to biblical times and before that, it's the narrative we've violence has always been part of the human condition. Um, The difference now is what we have access to in the palm of our hands and what's being fed to us and how much of it is actually affecting our, Emotions, right? And if you want to go from a Gnostic, yeah. Gnostic point of view, you know, it's like very like these archons might be like feeding off that fear. Who knows? You know, but to keep people in a space of fear is to keep people in a space of control, is to keep people in a place of complacency, is to literally keep people under a spell of, well, nothing matters. So why bother? it's literally like, (laughs) I love the never ending story. And I always am referencing that as like a great meta narrative because the nothing is literally, it's a virus that consumes. And when you're literally being fed constant stream of information that it all feels so hopeless, you're giving into the nothing that why bother nothing matters. And it's that illusion of hopelessness. That's um, not good.
1: Yeah, the illusion of hopelessness. Because, like, what you're saying about spiritual bypassing is very real. And I've always been more on sort of the anarchist fuck love and light spirituality side. I'm going to feel all my feelings. I did an immersive play, or I went to an immersive play here in New York City recently, and they at first I was sad. <laughs> I like bought the ticket and they don't tell you really anything about the play. And I bought the ticket and I'm here in the city alone. And I got like dressed up and it was kind of a goth dress. And I entered the play and I was like sad at first because everyone was there with their people or their date, you know? And I was like, Lacey, you're always alone. You are a weird little loner in this world. And then I was, and then we went through it, and they they pu- first put you in an orphanage. They, like, drop you off, kind of, and you're in an orphanage. And I'm an orphan, and I, like, come from a lot of violence and trauma. And I I don't drink alcohol usually, but I had absence there, which I felt like I was hallucinating a little bit, <laughs> and I'm very sensitive. And then they put me in an orphanage, like, in an orphanage, and it was really scary. Wow. And then the next thing I knew, I was in a padded room. And then I realized that everyone who came there, they divided everyone up. They sort of split us apart and ripped us of our identity as part of the play, as being immersed in it. And I was like, oh, shit, even if I came with someone, I wouldn't have been with them here anyways. And it felt like an allegory for life, kind of. It's like I want to grip someone's hand, but we might be pulled apart anyways. Yeah. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because there was a moment where I was put in this padded room in this place of psychosis. And I so have deeply felt that psychosis in my own existence. And this woman came out and she was getting naked in front of everybody and bashing herself against the wall and like really feeling her sacred rage. And I was like, oh shit, I'm in New York City. I'm an artist. I have to start making art like this. And then my guides were like, Lacey, you've already bashed yourself against the wall. Mm. You've already made the art where you're bashing yourself against the wall, where you're sticking your tits out and throwing yourself (laughs) to the ground and crying. You've done that. And is it spiritually bypassing of me of not being in that phase anymore of bashing myself against the wall? Because now I want to make art from this pink mushroom cloud. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's a value in that,
0: Um Last week I had this really intense dream. Like so much of my whole experience is like traversing dream realms and lots of really weird dream synchronicity, psychic phenomena. But this feels very appropriate in this conversation. So this dream I had was that I felt myself becoming possessed by Kali and I saw my arms turning black. I saw arms grow and I saw everything, just this darkness consuming me and this fire and I remember viscerally feeling in the dream this sense of like fear and terror at the level of power from this darkness that this is literally harnessing fire, this is harnessing that. But in the dream, as this is happening, I thought in my mind that the only way to find balance through it is to chant the green Tara mantra. And green Tara is the mother of all Buddhas. You know, she's the mother of compassion and gentleness. So it's like, you know, this dream of becoming Kali, which is this like wrathful, powerful, badass goddess deity. But then thinking of chanting green Tara, which is this gentleness. And I think it speaks to what we talked about before of like, do you think there's winning or losing? Do you think there's ultimate good or ultimate bad? Do you think there's like an ultimate pink mushroom cloud or ultimate throwing my tits out, screaming on the ground? I think that the amalgamation of everything is actually very fucking human and supernatural.
1: (laughs) yeah because I at any moment, I could fall from that mushroom cloud with my tits out screaming. And I honestly, I love her. you know, I love the me who needs to scream, who needs to feel the rage? Yeah, but going back to what you were saying about like it's always been this, but now we have this thing in our palm of our hand, I think that's just like a really important point is that. There's part of us in humanity who've been monsters to each other. And I think that monster can and does live in all of us. But I think it's dangerous when we constantly are like, look at the monster, look at the monster. It's coming to get you. It's coming to get you. And it's not a part of you. It's outside of you. And it feels like there's almost this alchemizing that can happen when you realize that whatever the monster is in the media, that there's a reflection of you in that too.
0: Absolutely. There's this really campy movie I love from the seventies with Sean Connery called Zardoz. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's unbelievable. He's like running around in a speedo and like suspenders. (laughs) (laughs) It's so trippy and weird, but there's this line where they say the monster is a mirror. The monster is oh, a mirror, yes. reflect on that. And I love that you said, just Like we have to say this, we're, we're constantly fearing the boogeyman, the, the, the nothing, the thing outside of ourselves so much so that it disempowers us to realize that like literally the Fox News now is the French Revolution, people getting their heads cut off in the middle of the town square and everybody gathering to watch it and gasp at like, oh, wow, like, you know there has been so many atrocities when you think back to just how awful and violent humans have been where it's like, yeah, it's the access point and what the beauty of our, our times is, is that like we have more, I mean, there's, there's so much that we can choose. Right. And discern, discerning what we choose to give our energy to can really help navigate that heaviness.
1: Yeah. I ax- It was like a sort of accident. I don't know if accident's the right word, but I, I didn't trip. I haven't done any psychedelics for like over a year. And I haven't done like a ton of psychedelics in my life, period. And then I'm in New York City by myself. And I ate a chocolate that was in a freezer, a truffle, <laughs> and it was a mushroom chocolate. <laughs> and at first I was like, okay, I'm staying inside. I'm staying inside because there is a whole fucking world out there, a whole city. And I was like, like I already read energy a lot. You know, I like feel people's energy in my physical body and I can take on people's physicalities. So I was like, there's no way I can go out in that city. There's like real (laughs) monsters outside. And then I did it and I sat and I like danced and then My guides were like, okay, bitch, you didn't come here to sit inside. You didn't come here to trip alone inside. So getting dressed was the hardest thing in the world. But once I got clothes on, I went out in the world and talked to strangers, tripping balls in a city I don't really know. That's amazing. (laughs) And it was at first I ended up in this park. because so I was like, Oh, yeah, I want to go to a park. And then I like stumbled upon a park. So I like went into the park, uh, Scariest place I could have went to in the city. <laughs> I literally went to like Satan's birthday party. (laughs) It was like this death metal concert and everyone was faded. I don't know what they were on, but they were like not here. And there was just like a lot of screaming. And I was like, oh my God, I have to leave. And then so I like walked out of there, but I like stayed present and talked to the element of air and like sort of like moved with the element of air and then ended up in an herbal shop, which making me feel super grounded and I bought blue vervain which is kind of a natural sedative and blue vervain everyone bring blue vervain in your life if it calls to you Mm. and then I ended up at this crystal shop where there was this androgynous person working in the shop who was from India and they were just telling me about all these crystals and I was like I'm in love with you. Mm -hmm. I am so in love with you in this place. But I'm saying all that to say is that I saw monsters for a brief second. And then I was just like, what I saw when I was at that like death metal thing in the park. First I saw them as scary. And then I saw them as an older version of me and maybe not like even older, but there was a time when I was a teenager where I was, like, going to a lot of punk and death metal shows. And I lost some friend, my best friend to heroin. And I saw people, like, on pretty heavy drugs. And I was like, oh, they're not monsters. They're just part of another timeline that you were once on. Mm. And I felt, like, the pain of that timeline. And sometimes monsters are just a reflection of different parts of our own pain.
0: Completely. Yeah. Like if you look at like the Buddhist tanka paintings of the different realms, right? And you just see all these like kind of like wrathful deities, scary beings. They're all part of the infinite ocean of samsara, right? So what you may perceive as a monster is just really another person suffering and working through whatever it is they're working through. And when you can approach that with a level of softness to see like, oh, this is a human being too. It's like navigating our projections through the illusion is really really a trip.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And then I ended the night at this, like, I got in a, I have not been to Brooklyn. Like I'm not staying in Brooklyn and I haven't really been to that part of New York yet. And I was on mushrooms, got in a cab to Brooklyn and ended up at this little venue where they had like rainbows and like a little dwarf house. You could I literally had to get on my knees and crawl into this house. And then I spent the night dancing the night away in Brooklyn. And I'm like, oh, I had to go through that evolution of looking the monster in his eyes to end up like literally in the mushroom. <laughs>
0: yeah. You're on like an, an <laughs> odyssey. You went on your own hero's journey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad I made it out. <laughs> wow. Uh Will you tell us more about sort of your astral journeys? You touched on it a little bit. What is that like for you? Yeah. um, Well,
0: it's been my journey throughout my entire life is that always have had really weird psychic dreams. Um, I've joked before on podcasts that I'm I'm less of a Sabrina as I'm more of an 11. (laughs) 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 So, um, you know, always would have weird dreams and, Uh, The next day, talk about them, and then something would happen. Uh, That's actually how Amenti came to be. Uh, The first time that I ever did ayahuasca was the summer of 2013. And before I even did the medicine, my first night staying at this retreat, I had a dream about basically the Hall of Judgment before I even read about it. you know, just to kind of give the Cliffs Notes version of it, was that I looked down a hallway and saw this being. And basically, they held out a scale with a heart and a feather and said that there is no other, there is no alien. All that matters in this life is that your heart is as light as this feather. And it had the heart wow. and the feather on the scale. I had never read the Egyptian Book of the Dead. But it led me to that and it led me to a great uncovering like the dream that I had mentioned before with the Kali and the green Tara. There are certain dream journeys that I have that are more this like metaphorical landscape of here's the archetypes to look at and to observe that'll help you where you are. And then there'll be ones that are really on the nose. Like, um, you know, I remember in high school dreaming about my mom's ex-boyfriend and being on a bridge and his nephew telling me to, to tell my mom to reach out to him. And we found out the next day that he had committed suicide by jumping off a bridge. Um, so it's, they come through in different ways and it's everything from, you know, life lessons to, um, high magic to kind of warnings, I guess, uh, especially, you know, in t- around 2012 is really when I was like deep, deep, deep into uh, conspiracy theories and like every rabbit hole that you can imagine. But around that time, I remember like just having so many intense dreams about like flooding and storms. And it was like high frequency uh, dreams like that.
1: I feel like we do get these activations in that space. I'm a person who feels everything. How do you feel everything and still have a light heart? Mm. Yeah, that's, um, I really relate to that.
0: <laughs> I, I definitely, um, I think that's the thing where there are certain ways that you can articulate living light life with a light heart, right? It can be like, oh no, like love and light, live, love, laugh. Everything happens for a reason you know, good vibes. And it's like, no, I think having a light heart is acknowledging your humanity and that nobody is impervious to pain and suffering. But if you can observe that, and even those who have caused you pain and suffering and find forgiveness for yourself and also for what's happened to you, that's where you can have that feather light heart, not trying to put a pink bow on it or give it the everything happens for a reason narrative that's like in the toxic spiritual space. But in the, I forgive that this has happened. I forgive. I forgive. Um, Most of my best teachers have been pain. Um, I've experienced a lot of death, a lot of loss, a lot of really fucked up shit. And what's allowed me to have a light heart is remembering to forgive and to see that um, even the people that you deem to be the worst were like also babies at one point. So whatever happened along the way, like forgive them and to also find grace and gratitude that like, thank God that wasn't my path. (laughs) Thank you for showing me how not to be. Um, it's tricky because there's there's a lot of room for like nuance in it and articulating again in a way that's not in that gross, like candy coated spiritual, but it's like acknowledging our humanity and that we're all suffering and to find like love and kindness and grace for, for all of it.
1: Yeah. What do you feel like forgiveness is? (sighs) Oh, um,
0: for me, at least in my subjective experience, it's being able to like, acknowledge that, um, shit happens and we're all doing the best we can with what we have with the tools that we've been given. Um, we're all operating from our own experiences and trauma. And if we can actually like find loving kindness for that stuff, (laughs) Uh, it can help transmute it. There's a way... Uh, forgiveness is like a, a form of alchemy, I guess. It's like finding order from the chaos or finding the usefulness from the fire, finding the utility in the water. Um, you know, I, to not speak in metaphor, forgiveness is really just, for me, at least, like, letting go of the shit instead of continuing to hold on to it.
1: Yeah. What am I Poets that I love in this life Is Buddy Wakefield And I don't know if he's the originator Of this line but in one of his poems He says Forgiveness is the release of all hope For a better past Mm. I love that Yeah (laughs) (laughs) And I am such a hopeful person, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I really am. And sometimes I still have hope for what was, and that can keep me in this loop with another of why did you hurt me that way? Why did you do this? It could have been different. Why did not you tell me the truth? Like what, you know, and it's just this like nonstop poking of hope of it could have been something else instead of surrendering to what it was.
0: Yeah. No, that's something, you know, like releasing expectation, right. And finding acceptance. I love, I love the way that poet framed it because yeah, by, by no means have I mastered forgiveness or having a light heart, like becoming a, a mom and everything that has happened from like being pregnant to creating a person has been the most insane psychedelic experience in my life. And I've done a lot of psychedelics, (laughs) but my biggest wound and my biggest, um, I guess video game boss in the simulation is my relationship with my mother. And so much of my suffering with that relationship with her is my expectations, my expectations, that somehow the past can change, somehow the present can change, somehow we can have a better future. And every time the same lesson happens of like, wow, I actually am hurt more by my, by my expectations and instead of just like seeing the reality for what it is, but it makes it harder being on the other side of an experience of like being a mom and being like, wow. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's really hard to not expect Or like how how to release expectations and like, I don't know, that's something I've yet to master on the path of this.
1: Through the eyes of Buddy Wakefield, I feel like he would call that not expectations, but hope, hope that the relationship with your mom changes or hope that you can mend it or hope that she would be the mother that you're becoming, you know? It's so wild when you step into the position of being a nurturer, and then you have to sort of grapple with the fact that you weren't nurtured in the ways that you're giving out the nurturing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But then again, it's like how to step outside of yourself and try so hard to find forgiveness for my mom's own humanity because she was doing the best she could with what she had with the tools she's been given with her trauma, her time. But the one thing that we can control, again, kind of speaking to that paradox is like how we move forward, right? Like you can't control anybody else's actions or behavior or rewrite the past, but what you can do is create a new story with yourself in the driver's seat. So again, like becoming a mom, ironically, having a daughter, (laughs) Like, and just, you know, before, uh, almost two years now, I, I stopped drinking and it was mostly of this intention of that. I don't, my mom, a lot of my issue with my mom is that she's a big drinker and doesn't want to, doesn't, doesn't want to look at it. Um, so I, my protest, my, okay, I'm never going to drink again cause I never want to become that. So, um, tangentially speaking i guess it's my way of saying that i realize that the only thing i can control is myself and this is a precious opportunity to do whatever i can do to create a better chapter instead of trying to rewrite the past
1: i feel like we can go back and heal the past by going and offering nurturing to our little selves so they don't have to walk around with that wound of not being held or of not or of being hurt in those ways And I think forgiveness is important. But I think before forgiveness comes for a lot of people, they have to feel the anger or the grief or the sadness or the annoyance, you know. And I don't think forgiveness is possible if we don't feel those things fully first. And it might feel like we're going to stay in that anger forever. And I think that's okay if it feels like that. But eventually, I think you can dance and I don't think anger is a state we live in when we are authentically feeling it. I think it actually moves pretty fast usually. And anger is a motivator and it has a lot of creation energy and it's connected to the liver, which helps us filter and protect the other organs in our body. I felt the anger for a long time and the pain. And now I'm at a place where I'm understanding what forgiveness is better. Like I I can hold the forgiveness more. Totally.
0: And I think it's important, really important that you mentioned that about anger. Something a friend of mine told me that stuck with me because I, re- I remember in 2016, I went through like my angry face. I think that was the angriest I've ever been in my life. I was just fucking angry and mad and just like completely feeling like hopeless, nihilist, like everything's stupid. And he had told me, he's like, well, the thing that's important to realize is that anger is actually a secondary emotion. Anger comes from Uh, rejection, hurt, anger is a secondary emotion. And I was like, oh, there's something to that. And again, kind of like speaking to our conversation, one of my best psychedelic experiences ever was with mushrooms. They're like a really incredible teacher, this odyssey, right? And I remember we were sitting on the beach and uh, just kind of like peak of that trip. And I was just like saying, like, God, I just feel so hopeless. Everything's stupid. Um, I'm never going to get through this stuff with my mom. And there were these people on the beach and they were lighting these paper lanterns. And it was really beautiful. Like, you know, you're tripping, you see like these paper lanterns going off into the sky, and we're having this like life conversation. And, you know, he's listening he's great and I'm like yeah you know just I just don't know how I feel and he's like look at how beautiful everything is like really just take it in look around you we are we're on the beach this is happening and then as he says that (laughs) This guy is lighting his lantern, and it gets lit on fire. And he's literally like freaking out, chasing this paper lantern on fire across the <laughs> beach. <laughs> and I'm like, oh what God. a metaphor! Like humans are such—we're capable of such beauty and these precious moments, but <laughs> we're gonna fuck up every now and again. And like, if you can see the beauty even in the failure. There's something special to that. So it's like we're all kind of chasing these paper lanterns on fire, just to varying degrees.
1: (laughs) For reals, for (laughs) reals, for reals. And I, I see what people are saying, like anger is a secondary emotion. But that's not like, that's not sort of the energy I abide by with it. Because I think all emotions are their own emotion. And I think throughout the day, we feel sad parts of the day, even on our good days, and like happy and joy and grief and anger. And like, they are all connected, but they're also all separate. You know, even the grief is connected to the joy. The joy is connected to the anger, you know? So I think they're all connected, but sometimes I think people say that in a way of like, don't feel the anger, feel the sadness first. You know, Mm. I think people are very afraid of the feminine feeling anger. Yeah. And, and I think anger is also so connected to creativity you'll see different emotions come out when people are about to give birth. And sometimes it's anger. And I see birth as a death process that the maiden dies as she gives birth. And sometimes she starts the death before she gives birth or even after she gives birth. But an older, the maiden version of you dies so that the mother you can be born into. And it's a really cool process to watch. And it can be really interesting when you see the mother hit the point of rage or anger. And not every mother experiences that, but some do. And they, like, even try to shrink in it or stop it. Like, you'll see it in movies, too. You know, the woman will, like, grab her husband and be like, don't fucking touch me, you know, because she's, like, going through the pain. But it's almost like the sacred rage of the fire of death.
0: You know, I didn't personally have that in my birth experience. I actually, had like I had a C section, and it was completely unexpected. Like I went in for just the checkup. The my daughter's um, umbilical cord was in her face, like on her face. So mm. my doctor was like, "We have to do a C section just because if you go into labor, this could be complicated." Literally, it was like almost like a door opened. She came out. We listened to music, and it was perfect. But I spent most of my pregnancy in this space of exactly what you mentioned, this grief over leaving maiden, becoming mother, and then dealing with um, everybody telling you, Oh, you'll you'll give up your life now. You're never going to sleep again and this, that, and the other thing and all of these like projections. So I spent so much of my pregnancy being like really annoyed and angry and like, stop telling me what to do or how it's going to be like. And then to come out on the other side of it and have like an amazing birth and like this unicorn baby that sleeps. I'm like, well, I think I went through all that anger and stuff to have the gold on the other side of it. A
1: hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think there's something so deep to that and not just with the process of birth but like in life it's like sometimes we experience the anger and the worst timelines so we can alchemize so we can kind of surrender to that emotion or that timeline and i think it does help us jump on newer higher timelines i agree
0: and what is more of like creation energy through every cell of your body when your body's in this process of creating a person this is like 100%. literally the beaker of alchemy
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah for reals oh that's so amazing and i think it's really important right now to protect ourselves spiritually from others projections from others fears and i get so angry that people put so many projections on pregnant beans. Like those are like
0: what are you doing? It's insane. <laughs> I never knew I never knew cuz I I honestly didn't know if I wanted to have kids until I met my husband, my now husband. Um when I met him I'm like yes, absolutely. Before that I am like I don't know being a mom wasn't that appealing to me but the big lesson from this whole thing has been like boundaries and like um my the illustrator of Amenti Natalie and I she's my best friend she's amazing we have this mantra of absolutely not and so much of the pregnancy taught me like absolutely not like I just can't imagine ever saying to a person who's in the process of creating a person like, oh, your life is over or sleep now while you can. You're never going to sleep again or enjoy it while you can. And it's like, shut the fuck up.
1: <laughs> well, those are curses. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's people who bless you in this life and then there's people who curse you. And they might not even be conscious of what's happening, but those are curses that I think we really have to protect ourselves from. Um. People curse places or I feel like I'm always being told, like, don't go there. It's not safe. Or, you know, when I was coming to New York, people were like, everyone's mean in New York. It's the worst place to be right now. No way. <laughs> Knock on wood. People are so kind. And like the underground artists here, so kind, so accepting, so loving and, and so full of light. You yeah. know,
0: absolutely. New York. Everybody likes to project on New York like, oh, it's so hard. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. It's like New York has always been easy to me. Like my whole social life started (laughs) there when I was like 19 and I met, like you said, like you could go out and a typical New York day, you start here, you go on this odyssey, you meet these amazing humans (laughs) along the way. People project bullshit and it's just usually bullshit because yeah.
1: Do you want to share what month your baby was born? Yeah, she was born on April 20th. Okay. So I'm just like a firm believer that the babies coming in right now are beyond galactic, beyond magical in a way that we've not seen on this plane. I have a episode called new species with my midwife friend, Rosie, and she had a baby during that time too. Like she just shifted as a person because this baby came and it's a girl also. And this baby came in and was like, no, this is what no, like, and that that no was not coming from Rosie. So it was really interesting to watch, yeah. and I just these babies carry a lot of superpowers. I believe that wholeheartedly. I've I've seen
0: it a lot through some of my friends that have given birth. But then I look at my daughter, and she, I mean, she's so aware, and so I mean, she only cries when she's hungry, and she's just like just. Uh, So many of my friends joke that she was like a little Maitreya and I'm like, yeah, she might be (laughs) in her her own right.
1: (laughs) Totally. Okay. Well, I don't have to keep you forever, but I'm, I love, love, love that I got to talk with you. Um, But I, can I ask you a question before I don't know much about Egyptian magic. But something that's always called to me in Egyptian magic, and the first time, one of the first times I did acid, someone was like, "You're connected to the new, the new, the nun," and I like saw these dark waters, and I, and there's just this synchronicity for me around the nun, the noon, the new, and. When I got your deck, I pulled one card and it was that card. And I just didn't know if you had any thoughts around them. Yeah,
0: I think that this is the the, the absence of light is there to actually give that contrast so that when the pockets of light come through, they shine that much brighter. So this space of nothing is actually everything right? So it's like everything that holds the potential for creation and the potential for the pockets of life that shine through to shine that much brighter. Um, I think it speaks so much to our conversation and even the underworld and that energies that you're drawn towards is that embracing darkness is actually embracing everything, embracing light. It's not empty in the space sense of like, um, holding nothing. It's actually holding everything. So it just goes to show that like everything we just touched upon, you know, holding that there is no, end; it's all a process, you know, um, Arrival is one of my favorite movies and this, I don't know if you've seen it. It's really great as a, as somebody that loves words, you'll love this movie because it talks about, you know, basically language, right? And we, we speak in finite terms, winner, loser, and begin. These beings from another planet come and every way that they use language is in process. You know, one of them is dying. It's not that they're dying, not that they're dead. They're in death process. Like life is life yeah. process. So yes, Yeah. I hope that makes that sense. Is so cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's so cool. Thank you for sharing it with me. And and praise be the mother. So where can people find you? And will you tell us about the different decks you have and the magic you're creating? Yes. Um, so you can find
0: me on social media at Jennifer Sodini, jennifersodini.com. Um, if you're interested in the Amenti Oracle deck, um it's Pretty much where every major book is found, um, and then in October I have a new deck coming out in collaboration with Modern Nirvana called the Modern Nirvana Deck, um, and it's co-authored with myself, Kat Graham, uh, Frank Elleridge, and Bryant Wood, who are all really, really beautiful people doing beautiful things in the world. Um, and yeah, I have some other Oracle decks I'm working on um, that are in the pipeline. Um, I. You know, there's there's a difference between like oracle cards and tarot cards, and the oracle world has always spoken to me because it's kind of like the ink blot test of the subconscious mind into high magic. So um, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. I, If you want to be a part of the weird community I'm creating, please join our Patreon, Patreon slash Lacey Free. That is a way to support HorrorPod and keep HorrorPod alive. Also, please like, subscribe and give HorrorPod a beautiful review. Okay. Thank Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.